0: Welcome to Highly Functioning, a show about exploring, understanding, and optimizing the mind from a non neurotypical lens. On this episode of Highly Functioning, we talk about imposter syndrome what it is, where it comes from, and how it reinforces itself through negative feedback loops. We also talked a lot about our own personal experiences and different ways in which it manifests and unique solutions on how to combat its effects key ideas we discussed are how philosophy plays a role in our internal monologue and how imposter syndrome affects your confidence and certainty in your own ideas as always thank you for listening be sure to subscribe on youtube and your favorite podcasting app follow and like us on facebook at facebook.com highly functioning and if you like our content consider supporting us at highlyfunctioning.ca. there you'll find bonus content q a's and be able to provide direct input on how you can change the show
1: Hey, David. Hey, Winston. How's it going?
0: Pretty good, man. Can't complain. How are you?
1: I'm doing all right. I'm coming out of a funk, uh, but, you know, so I feel good that I'm coming out of the funk, but I'm more aware of the funk now, but that's all right. It's
0: good. <laughs> I'm still in the funk, but I don't know, like having a conversation with you is pretty delightful. So oh, uh, I've never, i yeah, I've never called something delightful like that, but uh, it just feels right.
1: <laughs> I'm honored, dude. <laughs>
0: Um, but uh, on today's episode, um, I thought we could talk about imposter syndrome, uh, especially because this is an issue that's pretty close to my heart, um, especially because I feel like I felt this issue uh, multiple times throughout throughout my years as a kid, uh, high school, university, work, this podcast, you name it. Um, and for those who might not know what a imposter syndrome is, imposter syndrome is a psychological phenomenon where you the individual almost feels like they're a fraud that's about, about to be exposed. And some things that come out of this are feelings of uh, like a fear of failure, feelings of consistently being found out. Um, there's feelings of incompetence, feeling that you're deceiving others and thinking and making them believe that you're smarter than you are. Um, and it's it's one of those feelings where um, you're consistently trying to make sure that people don't find out that you're actually just faking it or you feel like anything that you do or anything that goes well is a matter of luck and anything that um, goes poorly is because you're not as smart as you think you are and you haven't prepared for it. Um, And it's like statistically speaking, I think the stats is around uh, 70% of people feel this phenomenon at some point in their lives. So I thought it was something that um, it's important to talk about, especially because I sort of feel it. And I'm guessing if it's 70%, probably you felt it as well. Um, and I know I have a lot of feelings on this. So I'm going to pass the <laughs> pass the baton to you. On uh, Do you relate with this? Has this been something that you've thought about?
1: So I have two main things. One's kind of my societal take and one's my personal experience. So my personal experience is I I've never really felt it because i'd say i had felt it so deeply from such a young age that i didn't know what it was and so i never really actually felt like an imposter because the imposter syndrome was so buried for me like um if that makes sense and so like i was i but i was always very competent you know so imposter syndrome would come or would be related to self-esteem and i think i've mentioned before there's like Self-esteem in my view has two parts, like you're able to live and you're worthy of living. And I always knew I was very able to live. And I think a lot of people's imposter syndrome comes from that, right? They don't think they're able to do the job they're in. They don't think they're as capable as the people around them. And I never really felt that, but I did feel like an imposter because I, like, I would achieve things and I'd get things that I didn't think I was worthy of. Um, And so maybe I don't know if that is technically imposter syndrome, but that's kind of how I felt it more so. But I didn't often have issues where thinking I wasn't good enough. And so that kind of puts me at contrast with a lot of people. Um, And, you know, and now in particular, I wouldn't say I often, if ever, experience it, thankfully. Um, You know, I'm pretty confident. I've done a lot of work to really just figure out about myself and be honest with myself. So that, you know, I, I I don't feel like an imposter because I'm aware of, you know, my own capabilities and stuff. Um, and, you know, I think even though I was as capable as I am now a few years ago, the way I presented myself was very much that boastful over the top thing where it's like you're almost you need to have people believe you so that it validates you. And so there was an aspect of imposter syndrome there. Cause like I, for example, needed to people to know I was smart and admit I was smart for some reason. I knew I was smart, but somehow I still needed their validation. Um, so that's kind of my current experience. And I would say like the fact that 70% of people experience imposter syndrome makes sense to me. Cause I would argue more than 70% of people are imposters, right? So I think most people don't actually live authentic lives by choice. And so then they're in situations and they know for some reason that they don't actually belong there or they don't want to be there. I think, unfortunately, that is true for many people. So it actually makes sense to me. Uh, Sorry if I'm triggering anyone that has imposter syndrome. I I feel for you. I understand. But I think it makes sense to me that many people feel this. And it kind of relates. I think we mentioned in the episode on depression, like you know, these psychological phenomenon are akin, in my view, to like, you know, getting a fever. It's actually a good thing because it's your body or your mind saying something is wrong. So if you feel imposter syndrome, there's a reason and you should actually take that the same way. Oh, I have a fever. Maybe I'm sick. I have imposter syndrome. I should actually pay attention as to why and be honest about that. Um, So that's kind of my personal and social take on on it off the top.
0: And um, so let, there's a few good places that I think you went there, but um, one of them that I'm going to ask is that, like you mentioned that you felt that you were undeserving of certain things, but you didn't necessarily feel like an imposter. Um, at least from what I know about imposter syndrome, there usually one is derived from the other. It's when you get sort of praise, you say, hey, that's not necessarily... Um, like I don't necessarily deserve that. There's some dumb luck associated with that, or um, there are other things at play. Like, was that never an issue for you, where you where you felt like, oh, like where did the undeservedness come from?
1: Well, so that's kind of a deeper issue that might be worth its own episode, actually, because the 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 like I had a really big split in my brain, basically, because yeah, most people like if they think they're able to live, then they'd be worthy of living, and those two kind of grow together. But for me, my standard of like I thought I needed to be perfect. So even though I was great in my own view, I was never good enough. And so I could never catch it. So I always felt shitty about myself. And it was worse because literally I thought I was really good and still terrible. And so it just kind of continued to split my brain. Um, and I'd always push for better and better and better. And it was never enough. Right. And so, yeah, you know, and, and, I recently read. Uh, I'm I'm rereading The Fountainhead right now, and I think, no, actually, that's not where I read it. I'm reading some Aristotle right now, and it talks about the virtue of pride and how if someone, and you know, not to get into it, but it basically says like someone who really has like let's say high self-esteem, most people's praise won't even be like, it. they'll dislike it because it won't be meaningful at all because of who, like their standards aren't good enough to praise me. And like, that's how I felt. Even when I felt miserable, no one's praise was worthy because their standards weren't as high as mine either. So it was really like, I was totally trapped in feeling miserable, yet thinking I was better than everyone. Um,
0: and so and it's, that I- is That is textbook- like literally textbook um, <laughs> imposter syndrome because okay. it's it's a lot of the time, it's those people that consistently, whether it comes from younger age um, and having parents that like consistently push you to be perfect or get good grades and do things like that. Like there are some childhood childhood causes of it, but it's it's classically associated with perfectionists who no matter how much praise that they get, that doesn't really mean anything to them because they themselves don't feel like they're deserving of that. Um, right. And- I-
1: I would have thought though, imposter syndrome and, and, you know, feel free to correct me if I'm wrong, was more about like being in situations where you feel not capable, right? Like, it's, oh, I'm in a PhD program and I don't feel worthy of the PhD program because of my skill level, or I'm not good enough for this job. Everyone's better than me.
0: Cause I, I look at that almost a little bit like a, um, technicality is probably not the right word, but it's those feelings of being really good at it, but always doubting yourself. And one of the common signs of it are the people that are very, um, very, very, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, almost consistently self-monitor themselves needing to be better because they have this ideal of perfection that they, won't allow, that they won't allow themselves to reach because of course it's an ideal that you really can't reach, but they consistently beat themselves over it and feel as if they are, it's, it, it creates sort of feelings of inadequacy. Um, and I found uh, at least on some of the stuff that I've read that it usually manifests in two ways, which is when like a task is given to you, you 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 either procrastinate or over prepare. And the issue is that it creates a negative feedback loop in that when you overprepare, um when you go ahead and like let's just say you don't win that competition or you don't win that specific assignment or things like that, you're like, oh, I'm completely like I'm useless, I'm worthless. Like I prepared this much for it and I didn't get what I needed. Or you'll look at it and be like, I had to prepare so much because I am inadequate. And so you, it's, you're in this like catch 22, where That's no matter what the result
1: is, equivalent.
0: the procrastination in um, happens where someone procrastinates and does something to the, like waits until the very end and beats themselves up because, oh, they can't go out and like get started on it right away. And like most, most students and stuff can, can associate with this. And the worst part is let's just say you procrastinate, get it done. And then you get a really good grade or you, or your boss, it gives you really good feedback. You think, oh, like I'm a phony, like that was completely luck. And they don't realize that I just did that in the last six hours. They think I've been working on this for two weeks. So it's like, it's only like you, you're almost like, oh, they're going to find out at some point that like, I'm actually not as smart as I am. And I've probably bullshitted some of the stuff that I've put down.
1: Right. And, and so
0: all four situations create this reinforcement of I'm just inadequate. And so you almost put yourself in the situation where you can't win. Um, and it's very difficult to get out of. And it's, it some people say it's one of those things that you just have to learn to manage, especially if you're someone who's more predisposed to thinking that way.
1: So I would explicitly disagree that this is something that someone just has to learn to manage. I think definitely it's based on wrong thinking, right? And you need to really be objective about like your own, like your own capabilities and really deeply care about where, what is the root of this? I don't think any of these sort of issues should just be accepted and dealt with. But Can I make want- a
0: small correction on that? What I meant more was like, you know, when someone like you mentioned, you've had a lot of, um, a lot of success in dealing with anxiety, but and you're way better than you've ever been before. But there are still situations in which it creeps up, and you got to be like, okay, like I know how to deal with this now. I need to take time to reinforce my values and reinforce what I'm thinking about. That's what I sort of meant in that, like, it's like procrastination. It's a, it's a, it's a chronic disease that you consistently have to go ahead and fix, uh, because if you don't spend enough time thinking about it, it might creep up, and you have to like, you know, go ahead and deal with it. That's sort of what I meant.
1: Yeah, I'm just. Uh, It's an open question for me, whether that's true, whether these are chronic or if 10 years from now with enough work, I can get rid of my anxiety, right? Like, I think that might be possible, but I'm not certain. Um, But I just want to highlight in terms of like the way you outline, like those four options for imposter syndrome. Yeah. So that is not my experience, right? So I don't think I had it in, I think I had something that's probably somewhat analogous, but I wouldn't say I had imposter syndrome the way you kind of outlined it again, because the actual any inputs I had from other people or successes or not was kind of irrelevant to the way I felt about myself. Um, And I always knew how capable I was. And it was almost like a joke because I so just didn't care about everything that was going on because it was so easy and I would do it if I felt like it and whatever. And it was just kind of irrelevant. My job, my school and stuff. Um, so that's why I, I don't think, uh, cause from a very, but it's, it's interesting. Cause I said, you know, I think maybe I had it and it was so deep rooted, so young that I didn't like a lot of my issues manifested differently because my default defense mechanism since I was four was to push myself 1000% to the exact opposite of my fear. Right. So probably at age five, I felt like an imposter And I figured out how to never have that happen again. So I wired myself to make sure I always was certain of my capability so I'd never feel like an imposter, but then it created this like artificial uh, connection in my mind or something, right? So Mm -hmm. like that is my view of like, that's what happened in a lot of other situations is I would really push myself and force myself into situations to cure myself of whatever issue I had at a young age, cure in quotes, and then it manifested in some
0: other way, right? You just sweeped it under the closet and just like, like pretended it wasn't there long enough that you forgot that it was actually under there. Yeah, and it, but and like it, the room is starting to stink and you don't know why, right? Yeah, now. but then it sort of morphed. And so
1: a lot of these issues manifested in me differently than traditionally, uh, from my understanding at least. But so but- why... Oh, go ahead. No, no, keep going. No, I was going to ask like, so how, what is your experience with this? Cause you know, I'm very interested in, I suppose yours and perhaps if yours is a more traditional experience of what is this actually like to be in a situation you even mentioned on this podcast, you felt like you maybe had imposter syndrome and you know, my experience, like I said, I think uh, you know, I think it makes sense to me that 70% of people have this. And I see people who, because I feel very comfortable and confident in myself, I see a lot of people who are uncomfortable around me. And and I've gotten feedback that it's like hard for some people don't want to talk to me because they have to be themselves. Like I don't play into the bullshit. And a lot of people play bullshit out of the, their, themselves, because it helps them pose. And if you're, If you're an imposter and you're in a room of four imposters, it's pretty easy for everyone to get along, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So I'm interested in your thoughts on that, but also your experience um, with this.
0: So let me um, address the first thing you said, which is um, I find that's part of the reason why I actually like hanging out with you in in that um, you don't necessarily have to put on that face of like, oh, this is what I want the world to see. Um, which of course has been difficult doing a podcast that is meant to be going out to the world, right? <laughs> which is kind of uh, kind of backwards. But um, to address what you said, it's, it's one of those things where I find that a lot of people, uh, including myself, have this internal understanding that you need to be your authentic self and you want to show your authentic self to other people, but you're afraid how those people will take that authentic self. So you become the Authentic self in quotations that you want others to see. So you like grasp onto ideas that are accepted and you say that. And all the accepted ideas that uh, all the ideas that people accept, you go and put out face forward. But then the other ideas that aren't haven't quite become commonplace yet, you sort of hide that in the back of your in the back of your psyche. And when everyone starts doing that, everyone you almost get this again, this weird feedback loop where you're like, oh, everybody's like this. I'm the only one that's not doing this. And I find Like some of the major causes of that, especially for myself, uh, or I think this is probably true for most people in general, is one, the way that you've been raised as a child, um, the way that like social media basically um, puts out people's livelihoods. And like for me specifically, I think there's also like a racial component as well. And I'll explain that a little bit more. Not a racial, a cultural component. Um, the first being as, as a child, like I had very overprotective parents, um, that always not o- overprotective and high achieving parents, which is like, uh, I, I know every, any fed, there's any South Asians listening to this, they know, like it's, it's A's or nothing like, right. There's no, a B is not a letter in the alphabet. Um, but you're held to such a high standard that average is, is considered a failure. And so you're consistently trying to hit that amount and hit, hit that sort of bar. And anytime that you don't, um, and A is supposed to be above average, you're not going to be above average on everything. It's almost a huge blow to your self-esteem and your ego. And in situations where you sort of have to be on the cuff and things like that, places where you know you're not above average on something, but you're putting on enough of a front, it really hits your ego being like, oh, like if my mom was here and she was looking at this, she'd know that I'm not actually as smart as I think I am on that thing. Um, and that's my initial guess. Um, the other thing was, uh, I forget the second point that I said. The, the well let me express the cultural one I'll get back to it when it comes back to me but there's a cultural understanding especially I find among minorities in that success is almost looked down upon in certain places where if you become successful you're almost considered the like an outsider and there's an example um, where like, if you talk in your, if you talk in like perfect English, it's considered like, what do you like a, like, what are you a shill? Like, why are you talking like that? Like talk the way that we, we normally talk. Right. And it's, it's these sort of systems around you that keep you back where anytime that you, um, anytime that you get into a situation of people who also talk perfect English, you think to yourself going, Oh, like, this is not the way that I talk with all my friends. I'm just putting on a front. And then you go and talk to the people who actually talk like that. And you're like, oh, but like, I normally talk with perfect English with everybody. I'm now holding on a front with these people. And you're jumping between two worlds all the time. And it becomes really difficult because like, I find sometimes I'm with some close friends and I'll be like, who the hell is this guy? And then I'll turn around and talk to you and be like, who's this like more eloquent person who speaks perfect English? And it's just like, like who is Winston at the end of the day, right? Yeah. Um, and then uh, the, the other thing, I forget what the, what the other thing was.
1: Well, that's the main question: Who's Winston? Who's David? Who like each person? Go ahead.
0: I just got it. Sorry, social media, which is that we always like beforehand. You would still see people talk about themselves, and like if you ask someone what their hobby is or what they do on their free time, they're not going to tell you. Hey, sometimes they get stuck in a in a YouTube cycle for four hours, right? They'll tell you like I'm into reading, I'm into painting, I'm into doing these other things. So you. Normally, you would associate people as like whenever they 're not doing their work they 're like working on their new side hustle they 're working on this new hobby of theirs or building a huge mural. But social media takes that to the tenth degree because now you see photos of it and you 're like "Oh, this person 's not just bullshing at a party like now he has visual proof, even yeah. though that might be something that they 've sort of just put on as a front, and so you 'll look at that and then look at yourself sitting on the sofa staring at this while eating, while eating like, uh, like eating chips and being like oh, like I'm totally as a failure as a person. And although on my social media, it says this, I'm also an imposter. And so you have these multiple systems that are consistently like pushing you back. And anytime you get out of one system, you have another system um, pulling you back a little bit. And it it becomes a, it's a hard problem to solve because of the fact that there's so many functioning parts.
1: Yeah. 100%. What I was saying is like the most important thing is who are you, right? Each person needs to figure out who they are and try and ignore all of the rest of the noise because that's where how imposter syndrome sets in, right? You start to let yourself be who the world wants you to be, whether that's your parents, your friends or whatever. And then whenever you're that person, you know, you're not being yourself, even if it's just 10%. And especially then if if you're three different people, right? If you have three different people, you are, none of them are you, then that's just a a bigger issue. And you know I want to highlight that all of this is philosophy to me, right? Like this is uh, you letting other people's views of what the world is impact your view of what the world is. and so to the degree you do that, to the degree you let other people shape your mind and the way you conduct yourself, that is where imposter syndrome sets in. Uh, you know, I think parents is a huge thing. you know, I've read a few books about. Um, you know, the psychology at a young age, and it's very much like it's almost they, they say it's like authenticity versus acceptance, right? When you're five years old and can't communicate your needs or even younger, you have to almost out of like necessity, you have to try and be accepted by your parent rather than be authentic in your emotions or whatever. And so it creates this split at a young age. And then you know, at least according to Ayn Rand and her view of the school system, in particular the US school system, that issue is kind of hammered into people, that they actually don't want you to be authentic, they want you to you know, be one of the crowd. And that's where the philosophy comes in, is people think it's better to not be an individual, but to be part of the group. And you hear that is worse in certain minority communities and things like that, they really want you to be one of us. And like, oh, you think you're better than the family? You think, oh, like, you know, you're trying to do all this hot shot stuff. You think you're better than us? Come down to our level. And so, like, as much as they push you to strive, but not too much, right? And so there's all of these interesting dynamics at play. And then, yeah, eventually it's, you know, whether it's in high school or whatever, it's like you're in a room of people and no one wants to be who they are, but we're all just pretending together because that's the game. Um, and it's, it's really unfortunate, but the only answer is, you know, take a step back. I took like two years off from most of my life to just really try and figure out who I was. And this connects back to like the reason I never suffered from imposter syndrome in the traditional way is because from a young age, I chose to create someone else. So like, whereas most people, let's call it the persona, right? That's a Jungian term of who your public personality is. Most people's is kind of shaped without much thought based on the messages they receive. Whereas from the age of four, I created my own based on what I thought I should do in relation to that. So it wasn't directly shaped by them. And so that's why it was kind of different is because I kind of consciously created it but I still had the, you know, the mask that I wore. Um, I just kind of know about it more than the average person might have.
0: And that's super interesting. The um, the thing that I find with what, what you said that, like, I guess resonates, is that um, a lot of the time people end up creating these things by themselves without taking the time to like, you mentioned that you almost created this alter ego. And I find out that like, you look at a lot of authors and celebrities and things like that. Supposedly, the reason why they do that is to combat the idea of imposter syndrome, where it's like, I can just put on this public face. And when I am this public face, I, this public face does not have any issues with not fitting in. And then once I get out of the public eye, I can be the person who just wears sweatpants and, 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 and has a t-shirt at home. And right. we and- talked about before how like, that, can be, that can be pretty dangerous um, because you then start to lose sight of who you actually are and run into a lot of identity issues. Yeah. And one of the things that like, I'd want to highlight is it is a massive kerfuffle that I found um, where, and I know it's an odd word, kerfuffle, but an odd issue, I guess, um, where it's really hard to balance like different ideas that are going on in your head, meaning that when you grow up, there are there are certain behaviors or attitudes that you might that you might bring that are actually not good like you that's not the way that you treat people or that's not the way that you should think about these things and you have behaviors of your parents wanting you to act a different way and so you go and be like okay that mom or dad is a smart individual like they're probably they probably got this right and so you change that and you don't know when you should not listen to them and when you should listen to them and you always have this idea of like, be authentic to yourself, but always be open. And as a person, it's very difficult to decide which one of these are, and, and you might argue that this is a philosophical thing, but it's one of those things where it's, you don't know which one of these I should think about as this is intrinsically me. And which one of these is just me being stubborn and not wanting to change saying, that's just me. I can't, I can't change that. Um. And it's always this internal struggle I have in my head where it's like, you want to be a contrarian and be like, no, like I, I don't subscribe to that. I don't do that. And I come back later and be like, you know what? I did agree with that. It's just that I had an identity issue. And so I just said no, because I felt like that was me taking back my identity. Um, and I was wondering your thoughts on that, because I'm assuming by all the head nods that you've probably thought about this <laughs> quite a bit
1: yeah so there's two two things we'll see if i can recapture the second one but yeah like definitely that is that is what philosophy serves in terms of a person's psychology right you know a lot of people might not think when i'm talking philosophy it's some like distant thing about like you know what is moral or whatever but for me it's a really psychologically important thing right it helps what if everyone has a philosophy it's the way they view the world and you know when there's an issue, when there's two things that are contradictory, that is what comes up as psychological issues often. And so it's really about trying to figure out why you think the things you do and really trying to figure out, how do I know if it's true or not? How do I know if I think this or not? And you know that's really important and it's really diff- difficult. But it doesn't fix the problem, which is the other thing you mentioned about, well, but what is who what is me right because the you would be under the philosophy and that's what i've really struggled with because i created my persona so early on and i cared so much about being right because that was a protection that i had no idea who i was i had no idea what i liked literally i started at 25 from like ground zero and i'm i'm now like back at the point of like doing things I liked when I was a kid, because that's the last time I actually knew who I was. And it's not like so dire, like it, it can come across, but it is really tough. But until you're kind of more clear in, like at least the way you will think about things, you can't really get under it because there'll always be, okay, I think I'm this person, but you know what will that person think about it? Or what about in this situation? Right. And so what, you know, the, the process I had in terms of finding myself, the way I explain it is I spent a year tearing down everything I thought I was. Then I spent a year in isolation trying to figure out who am I alone? Who am I when no one else is around, when I'm just with myself? Then, OK, now let's put that person out into society a little bit. Right. <laughs> Because and it's Trust been test. it's been really tough. Like two years it's taken me to now start to feel comfortable being authentic publicly because it's really tough. And and it's we're not trained to do it because we're trained to fit in, right? We're supposed to fit in with everyone. Um, and if most people are imposters, then there's a specific narrative that I definitely don't fit um on many dimensions now. Um and it and it connects this all connects back to Yeah, this like idea of, you know, should I have a persona? Should I protect myself, especially if I'm going to be a public figure and that sort of thing? But I don't think it works. I think, um, you know, I'd assume that the celebrities that do really well are more authentic, right? I really think that that's what I'm trying to do for myself, train myself to be able to be authentic publicly and you know, I think it's really hard and and it's even hard to be authentic in small settings on your own. Most people, you know, when they sit at home alone, they're still, they still have imposter syndrome, right? Mm -hmm. It's not like they're only an imposter when they're actually at work, they go home and they're like, oh man, I was just an imposter all day. My life, my life is a lie. It's not like, oh, this job is a lie. It it becomes your, your being, right? Um, And so I definitely have experience with uh, with that issue, um, and really not knowing who I am. Right. But we're trained from a very young age to not think about that. Right. We're Mm -hmm. trained to just memorize things to like, this is the way you should be regardless of what you think or how you are. Um, and so it's, it's, it's really tough. Right. And I think it's the cause of a lot of issues, not just imposter syndrome.
0: And um, it's funny, I, I, while I was doing all the research for this for this episode, um, there was something that I ran across, which is someone saying that we're all just a bunch of children um, that just act like we're adults. Um, and most of us, there's a few people who've actually like transitioned to adulthood, but all of us are just like throughout every stage in our lives just consistently being like, this is what I should be doing at this age. Therefore, I'm going to put out the perception that this is the case, but I still haven't like, graduated to the next level. And I've personally felt that where... Um, Like it's that, and I always mention it where like you're in, you're in kindergarten and the grade one seem like they're, they totally have their stuff together and you go in grade one and you're like the people who are in like their juniors are like in grade six, they've got their stuff together and you get to grade eight and you're like, finally, like I run the school. Uh, And then you're like, oh, wait, there's grade nines. Now they're so much more mature and they do much cooler things. They go out to parties and you go to grade nine, you have like, you throw a party not knowing how parties are supposed to look like off Mm -hmm. of something that you've seen off of television (laughs) and then like the people in university. And there's always this next cohort that you look at. And I find, it is my initial hypothesis that people like reach the, a lot of people reach the age of 60 being like, oh crap, like I'm like at the last level and I haven't, I don't quite feel like I've actually graduated along the way um, where like, I don't know, like as a new person who's come to work, like I've graduated all the levels as a kid, um, thinking like, this is a person who has their stuff together. Like is going to go buy a house and like do their, do their thing. But I look at it being like, Oh, like there's someone who's been in the industry for 10 years and they're so much smarter than me. And they know this stuff so much better. And it's like, you create this, you always create this like narrative or this, this, this ideal person in your head that you can almost never reach. And until like what you, and the best way I can explain it is like, Generally speaking, we hear about people like a day in the life where you get a day in the life of someone who works out, they, they, they wake up, they work out, they have their healthy breakfast, they go to a meeting, they like sign a million dollar deal. And then like, you know what I mean? Yeah. And then you find out like, that's one thing that they did as a show for a specific news agency. Yeah. But in reality, that's not their day. Right. And you always have this ideal in your head. And when you have that one day, you feel super great about it, but it's like, it's not sustainable for you to do it every single day until kingdom come. Um, you're always going to have down days and, out and on days and off days. And any day that you don't, you're like, oh, I'm just an imposter that's faking it like these people that I see online. Um, and like in reality, at its core, I'm not that mature or I'm not that grown, I guess.
1: Yeah. So there's a lot there. I'd say one, that issue that you just talked about is what got like way worse with social media, right? Cause now it's, everyone is that it's not just like the top celebrity or the top businessman. Everyone seems like they're living that life all of the time. And even though everyone knows it's bullshit, it it's hard to get your, your mind to fully accept that. Um, you know, but what you said about the view set generally, it, I forget exactly what you said but like I think again it's these broader ideas that were fed that we're not supposed to actually be that great right pride is bad you should be humble right and all of this stuff like people we're taught actually not to be as good as we can be and so we're taught if you're taught pride is a sin when you do actually feel good about yourself you're taught to feel bad about the fact that you feel good about yourself or many people are right. And so that messes with your mind as well. Like, oh, well, you should work a certain amount, but not too much. Don't actually think you're good. That's bad. And so there's a bunch of mixed premises that we're taught. And so it's almost impossible to navigate. Right. And, you know, in terms of the graduation, I'd say that that's definitely true. And a lot of people have this idea Um, or this issue with, yeah, okay, well, I just need to reach that next stage, that next stage, that next stage. But it's because, again, it's a comparative thing. They're saying, well, this is, you know, according to either what I've been told, or according to some social norm, here's the next stage of my development. Here's what I should be doing next. And if they're not, then they feel bad about themselves or if they do it, but they're not doing it as well as, you know, the guy next to them, they feel bad about themselves, but that's totally the wrong way to view it. You should just be living your life. You should be focused inward. You should be selfish and figuring out, no, where am I now? What do I want next? Where am I going? And then you can just, then it's just like matters of fact. Oh, I happen to be at this job now because I'm pursuing my values and my goals, right? And so it's a very different mindset. And this comes back to my kind of unique experience, because you mentioned always kind of like this, you know, gradation of, oh, in kindergarten, you think the grade twos are cool. In grade two, you think the grade sixes are cool. For me, I always thought I was better than the adults since I was like seven, right? And so it wasn't until I became an adult that I hit that wall and came off a cliff, right? So I didn't have those kind of micro issues along the way of resetting my... Let's call it resetting my imposter syndrome because I knew from a young age, I was better than all of the adults. And so it wasn't until I actually hit adulthood where I realized the picture they had sold me of adulthood was wrong. So my entire framework was off. And I think that's kind of the, you know, we, I don't know if we've talked about it, but it might be a good episode on like the idea of a quarter life crisis or a midlife crisis, because I think that's exactly what happens is it used to be for our parents' generation or for many people in our parents' generation, you're supposed to get married, have kids, and then they leave. And then now what do I do with my life? They didn't tell me what to do next. And for, for our generation, it, I call it the quarter-life crisis because, you know, go to university, get a degree, get a good job, and then you get that job. It's not the job you love and want to do for the rest of your life. And you have no other guideposts because you've been taught to do things based on, you know, exterior inputs, and then you don't know what you want next once those inputs are gone. And so that used to happen as an empty nester. Now it happens, you know, uh, post-university graduation. But it's directly related to this idea of I'm trying to be the person they're telling me I'm supposed to be. And then once they don't have as specific guidance, I have no I have no idea what to do. And then you get that imposter
0: uh, feeling. And then at that point, I find is... Like, like, and that's part of the reason why I think, uh, alluding to your midlife crisis, people are having these midlife crises a lot earlier and earlier. Midlife like people- crisis now. Yeah, it's quarter-life crisis is a huge thing. Before it was like you're in your 40s and you're like, yeah. that's a guy who buys a Porsche or things like that. Um, and now it's like at 25, like I left my corporate job and I started working working and doing what I love to do. I
1: went to Asia for six months to find myself. I did a meditation retreat or whatever it is, right? And I'm not knocking that stuff. I've done those things, but I'm saying it's part of the problem. You are that guy. <laughs> I was that guy.
0: <laughs> and um, the one thing I, I want to touch on is you asked about my personal experience. Um, and I think this is... Part of the reason why I wanted to talk about it also is because to like get rid of my own imposter syndrome because when we like thought about doing this podcast, like I was like, Who the heck am I to?" be talking about highly functioning and thinking about the brain and stuff like that. Like, I don't have a major psychology degree. I'm not a psychiatrist. How could I How could I think about these things? Um, and we sort of talk ourselves down from that. And I find that I would do that sometimes where I'm like, I'm scared to post about it because I'm like, this person, they're going to find out that I'm not actually as smart as I think I am on this topic. And they're going to be like, you missed this article, you missed this research paper. And like, it's those type of anxiety that like builds up in your head. And part of part of me found that like, I would do that consistently with a lot of other avenues in my life, whether it be work or whether it be a new academic environment where I found that sometimes I would walk into work being like, oh my God, these people have been doing this for a lot longer. I should just like sit down and shut up and like just listen to what they have to say and things like this. Mm. But I found and one of the best advices I've heard is that, listen, man, everyone around you has no idea what they're doing. It's just a lot, some of the people who are more senior have a better way of hiding it or a better way of navigating it and for me it like just blew my mind because I was like if I just walk into every scenario thinking that everybody is an imposter themselves and you just talk the way that you want to talk or be authentic like you like you talk about um, it, it, I find I have a lot more self-confidence in those situations and I don't knock myself up beforehand and it's a weird it's a weird like jumping back and forth I have to do where I have to also make sure I don't fall into I think it's called like the Dunning-Kruger effect where the people that aren't aren't as intelligent think that they're the most intelligent people. And so I like fear that I'm falling into that being like, oh, I know all about this. But in reality, like that's limiting my ability to learn about it. I consistently be like, oh, most of the time, I the people around me that I think are so smart are just as normal as I am. And I'm just as capable of reaching those abilities or reaching those skills. But at the same time, I... Know that I don't like. I know that there's much more that I don't know than than I know, and I consistently have to be like self-monitoring myself to tell myself that I'm not as dumb as I think I am. A lot smarter than I am, and I have to like manage those two levels consistently, where I don't get way too full of myself, where I just think I'm smarter than everybody else, and don't listen to other people who are also equally as smart. But I don't fall into um, like thinking that everybody, even the random Joe on the street, that has zero thing of value to say is more intelligent or whatever. And I might be talking in sort of extravagant examples, but uh, it's been this like this balancing exercise that you consistently have to work with.
1: So I would say that's the wrong approach and you will not be able to get out of imposter syndrome or this cycle. That cycle will last forever because it's an other person centered approach. Do I know as much as them? Do they think I'm, do do I know enough for them to validate it or not? Whereas if you actually have a standard of well, what, is it, what does it mean to me if I claim I know something? If I say, yes, I know this thing, I am certain in this field, I am an expert in this field. Like if you're confident in your meta assessment of your own knowledge, that is what helps with all of this right? But to always have it be based on kind of the presentation or the reception, that that kind of anxiety loop will always be there, I think. Um, and so it's really, it's not about that, it's about from, you know, who you are up, right? Who you are and what you think you know for certain. Are, do you know that for certain? And then building up, there are some people like, you know, uh, I know some people who are kind of perpetual skeptics, and they think, well, I can't ever know anything really. And they're like, so they're very dismissive of any of their own knowledge. Right. And that would be kind of the extreme example, but I think that's the wrong way to view it. And, and, you know, this is where kind of, again, philosophy comes in. It's because how do you think about your own thinking? Right. And, and there is a way to kind of If if it's an actual concern, you know, you can kind of think about, well, what does it mean for me to be certain about something? And most people don't actually understand a lot of the stuff they talk about or claim, and that factors into the imposter syndrome. But I think you and many people do understand, um, you know, more than they give themselves credit for, but they just don't understand their understanding, let's say. Um, And, you know, when you mention, you know, how for this podcast, you weren't sure, you know, are you smart enough to talk about these things? That's kind of my battle right now is talk is convincing my friends that they're as intelligent as I think they are, because I often find my, fr- I view my friends as more intelligent than they view themselves. Um, and I have very high standards for that as well. Um, the one thing I'll add, which is, you know, I think a big issue for a lot of people, and they might not understand it in the, these exact terms or in this framework, but there's this, there's this kind of holdover idea that if we're not omnipotent, we can't have knowledge, right? And, you know, there's a religious root for that, but I think there's issues in the secular world about that as well. And so it's like, well, you know, you you mentioned, oh, well, if we have this conversation and someone says, oh, well, you didn't read this article and you missed this specific sub point that's really important for, about imposter syndrome or whatever, then you somehow like, effed up or made an error, like we're stupid or not lacking knowledge, but like lacking knowledge, isn't a moral fault. Lacking knowledge shouldn't make you feel bad about yourself. It's impossible to be omnipotent. Right. It's, and so if, but if that's the standard, you'll, you'll never be satisfied. Right. And you'll always have to try and balance yourself. So it's, again, it comes down to, well, no, like I can know some stuff. I obviously can't know literally everything, And so, uh, but gauging that and having the proper standard versus, yeah, I mean, I put out lots of videos and I'm sure lots of people can claim things that I got wrong or whatever, or that, you know, I, I missed and that's good if they're right, right? Then, oh, I can have more knowledge and that's a good thing because I want knowledge. I want to learn. And I think that is, again, jumping back to, you know, how does a kid actually grow up? How does a kid actually become the adult they want to be? By always asking why, by always just wanting to know the truth and caring more about what is the truth than anything else, than, you know, oh, you know, the stereotype is no, people are afraid to ask questions because they'll look stupid, right? Um, That doesn't make any sense, right? You need to ask questions because that's how you learn things, and people would rather. Feign knowledge to appear smarter, quote unquote, in the short term. Whereas, again, this is where, like, my lack of imposter syndrome or my opposite of imposter syndrome came into effect because, you know. I would get flack from the age of 14 or or younger of I was always certain in my views like I was 22 and I'd go toe to toe with like the dean of engineering about something I disagreed on because I knew I was right and I had an equal right to be in that meeting because I was in that meeting right and I I often got praised actually by professors and stuff for my conduct because most students are just too timid and don't actually contribute or add value. But I always thought, and I, I did have a tendency to go overboard in some of my views and <laughs> my claims to knowledge. Um, but I, you know, it was a different premise and it's the same. I, I often ask questions and I've never really, I remember something very vividly, two examples. I've always been bad at spelling in grade six. I spelled rough, R-U-F-F, and a teacher literally was like making fun of me,
0: and you I watch said- way too much DMX?
1: <laughs> no, I don't even know what that is, but oh like, uh, yeah. I literally said like, it's your fault, <laughs> like what are you laughing at me for that I don't know how to spell, you're the ones who's supposed to teach me, and the same thing happened in grade 11, I didn't know how to spell clothes until grade 11, because I would always spell it cloths, until <laughs> my sister said like, what the hell's wrong with you? And it was like, oh, no one ever corrected me. How did no one ever correct my spelling? It's not my fault. I never learned how to spell this, right? Like if no one teaches me a piece of knowledge, how could I have it? And so I'm very much open to being proven wrong. But again, it's that you mentioned the negative feedback loop. If you have imposter syndrome, you're scared of being proven wrong because, you know, it your, your house of cards will collapse. But because... You know, I have my view of my own knowledge that's a that, you know, other people's view of me is irrelevant. If one person thinks I'm a moron, but they teach me something, I feel good, right? I've learned, and it doesn't matter if this person thinks I'm an idiot, I don't think I'm an idiot, and you know, I'll move on in life with more knowledge.
0: And one of the things, well, the first part of what you said, I think, is a very, very good explanation of the internal struggle that I and, and a lot of the people I've talked to have, where it's, I'm afraid to become so certain of something that I now stop being able to take in other pieces of knowledge because I'm so certain. Like, it's the idea, there's, a, there's an idea that um, the major scientific knowledge um, in academia or in, or in other institutions change when a generation changes because the generation before them have gotten so certain of their ideas that they're not willing to look at other things and it's that constant fear of being that person and I'm not, I'm not saying that if you become certain you become that person, but it's the fear of being that person that's causes the the self-doubt but you also know don't do like it's that consistent battle back and forth of making sure that you're someone who always wants to learn but doesn't but also being someone that wants to be certain. And I find that a major symptom of that is when people talk in, very, very broad generalities, because it's like I am so general that if you point something out that's wrong, I could say, "Hey, like I just didn't have enough time to get into it. Um, I would have got there anyways." And you can spend time on the side googling it and like coming up to speed with it. Um, and it's the idea that like you can't like it's easy to macro bullshit. It's hard to micro bullshit. Like if you really get down to the the like the nodes of each like pieces of the knowledge, micro
1: known, bullshit is called lying. And I was very good at that. So maybe that's like, but micro bullshit is just making shit up. Like, you know, the, the snake oil salesman is a micro bullshitter, right? People call you out more and it's harder to do. So I agree. Yeah. The macro bullshit is where people feel more comfortable
0: and it's easy to get away with the lying, right? Like if you talk to a, like if, if someone who comes off as a well, as an objectivist specialist come and talks to you in very specific forms, um, you'd probably know that this person has zero idea what they're talking about really quickly. But if someone generally spouts out the stuff that you might see on videos and like just spends enough time talking about it and then just like dashes and goes the other way, you aren't quite as sure. You probably will have a good idea, but I'm trying to to show the fact that like it creates this idea of put put something in very small general statements so that you have the leeway to not look stupid online or in front of other people.
1: Well, and so I'd actually pose something to you. And I, I want you to think about this like deeply, because I would say that when people put out these broad generalities that are wrong and they macro bullshit, the reason they get away with it most of the time is that the average person doesn't actually give a shit. And I would posit that if you told the truth in those settings, also the average person still doesn't give a shit, right? So there's this actual like imposter syndrome actually goes hand in hand with anxiety where people think that people care about what they say, what they do far more than is true. The average person doesn't give a shit and it's very freeing to realize that. Like if I wasn't in this family gathering, no one would care. Fantastic. I am free to do whatever I want. And so the, I think that's it more so. It's not that you get one over on people by the macro bullshit, it's that most people don't care. And and people feel like, oh, I can get away with a lie because people won't care. But they feel for some reason that if they say the truth, somehow some issue will, will arise. But I do just want to add as well, this this idea around certainty and this like fear of well, if I'm certain, then there might be other issues. It again comes down to these kind of big ideas around, well, what is knowledge? And there's a lot of, I don't know about this, but I've read that, you know, apparently the the prevalent philosophies are anti-reason, they're anti-certainty. They don't think certainty is possible. And so that's kind of the culture we've been brought up in, is to claim certainty, to claim black or white, for me to say... I have this knowledge, I'm often rejected. How can you claim that? Like, you know, everyone has their own lived experience now and these sorts of things. So like we're in a time where certainty and knowledge are sort of rejected almost, I I think, I don't know. Um, but so that's why to even like, it feels wrong. It feels bad to be certain. Cause like, who am I, who am I to think I know something? Who am I to be so proud to feel so good about my own intelligence that I can actually know something with certainty. And, and so then you don't know anything with certainty. And then it's like, who am I? I can't know that for certain either. Right. And then, and then the up...
0: hypothesis is that like, sometimes it's like, when I see someone who doesn't seem like an imposter and I can be totally honest about it. I'm like, how could you do that? Like, I can't figure it out. Like you probably don't know about it either. You're just a better imposter than I am. And that's a dangerous, dangerous right. thought. And I'll be the first person to like point that out. Uh, but there's a lot of authentic people that I've met. Like the first time I remember I met you, I was like, the hell is this guy going on about? <laughs> and then like only after a few conversations, I was like, Oh, David's not a snake oil salesman. Like he can actually explain things really well. Um, right. I just so, met
1: someone today, and he asked if, like, as soon as we started talking on Zoom, he was like, "Are you recording?" And I was like, "No," because he thought like I was presenting as if like I'm on a podcast. And I was like, "This is just how I talk now." Like this. Is <laughs>
0: um, and like uh, one of the things is the the solution that you that you re- that you recommended, or you didn't really pose it as a solution, but the idea that like most people don't give a shit—that's actually one of the like the underlying things that people all often say, like, got them like they always had to think about this idea in order to like manage their uh, imposter syndrome is that like most of the time I know when I've worn the shirt, the same shirt twice, but most people don't. And like, I know when I like, when you leave a conversation, you're like, Oh, like this person said this, how did I not ask them a follow-up question or how did I say something so stupid? How did I stutter? And most of the time you talk to someone afterwards, like someone you're really close to either they didn't even notice or two, they're so focused on what they're saying and where they might have screwed up or forgot to hit that follow-up question that they haven't even thought about what, where you might have screwed up. And right. once you understand that most people have this struggle and most people are working along the way, it becomes a lot easier to deal with.
1: I, I think I, I essentially agree, but I think you put a kind of, again, a negative connotation to it. Like, yes, sure. A lot of people are like that, but also the people who aren't imposters and aren't anxious also, don't care because in the, the key of compassion. Oh, Winston wore the same shirt. Oh, you know, whatever. Or oh, he stuttered. Maybe you like it's just a stutter, right? Like it's also like indifferent. I call it compassionate indifference. It's both, right? Like loving kindness. People are who they are. People make mistakes, and also it doesn't really affect me one way or the other, right? Anyone who would waste time, like oh, I'm going to go chit chat with my friend. Can't Winston wore the same shirt twice in a row. Like oh, what a, what an idiot, right? Like. <laughs> who cares right so like like let's call it well put or like well put together people or whatever also don't care so it's not just the people who are also dealing with the issues um generally all right like
0: um i agree with that yeah uh some of the most like authentic people that you meet they're like when you say like oh sorry like i apologize if i'm coming too strong you say something like Well, okay, like whatever, like it doesn't matter. Like I'm excited to hear what you what you have to say, or like things like that. They're usually like pretty, like you mentioned, compassionate about it. So, um, yeah. Reflecting on my own experience, I think what you're saying is largely true.
1: Yeah, and and it's still practice. Like I still have that issue because I kind of know how I come off, and I can kind of get into certain like moods where I'm like very high energy, and I still have to practice even with people I've known for a while, like just letting it be comfortable because for. Syndrome, or you have other issues that you're trying to work through for a while. You do kind of have to really pay attention and almost retrain your brain, right? There's this idea you have to reparent yourself almost, and in that period, like I was aware I was a negative person, and I was so I would try and like filter myself, and sometimes I'd feel like I wasn't at my own um, level of conduct, and I'd apologize to someone, and they they'd be more compassionate towards me than I was uh, to myself. And also, you know, as I've gotten out of that, I have to learn to retrust my default because I recognize my default wasn't what I wanted. So I paid extra attention to myself for a while, but now I'm relearning, oh no, it's okay to just trust myself in the moment. And what it comes down to is just trusting, you know, I'm in this conversation with Winston, I'm engaged in this conversation, and however it goes, I'm doing it as best as I can, and hopefully Winston and the viewers will appreciate that. And so, again, the person I met earlier today, I got really ramped up uh, in the conversation, like very caught in my head and excited and not really certain of what I was saying because I was so quick in my own head, which is, you know, an issue I have. And afterwards, I reflect, still so go well, I don't need to message him. And before getting caught up in my head, the conversation seemed to go well, blah, blah. blah. Like, Aside but
0: David, uh, you're cutting out a little bit.
1: An as- I think that's an aspect of imposter syndrome, but it's not only imposter syndrome and and like it's just you know it's a there's many uh, you know facets to it, let's say, um, but I think that's: an
0: I agree. like I have those same things with the, with the podcast because there's sometimes that I'm talking, and I'll be like, "Oh crap, I'm on air. This is going out on YouTube at some point." And then I'll have to be like, just like ignore everything around you and talk the way that you talk if you're like just chit chatting with somebody. And a lot of the time afterwards, you'll feel much better about it because you're just being your authentic self. And if something happens, something happens, so be it. Like you can't beat yourself up being authentic. Um, and most of the time, people don't care, like you mentioned.
1: <laughs> I, I actually think it's kind of good training for people. I don't, I, I mentioned to you, I'm going to be trying this like mindfulness training camp thing. And I think DMT. You know, DMT, I think doing podcasts and stuff is actually a good practice because, you know, I've had guests on my other show, The Safe Space, and afterwards, some of them say, like, they have no idea how it went, like, because they weren't really, like, monitoring themselves in the conversation, and I was like, no, it went really well. We just had an authentic conversation about something you care about, the same way if we were just hanging out, like, if you hung out on my couch for 30 minutes... You wouldn't after that conversation, or many people wouldn't be like, oh, I wonder how that went. I wonder how I communicated this thing. No, it's just a conversation. And that's actually what people want more of is just authenticity. And so it's actually good to be able to like, and the more you can kind of talk emotionally, the more you can talk about values, the easier that is than just trying to kind of like paint sandcastles, let's say, or whatever, Um, sandcastles in the sky or whatever. so it's very much good practice to just try and be like engaged in the conversation and not worry about, you know, am I saying the right thing? Am I not? But again, if you have imposter syndrome, that's very difficult because you'll you'll worry that if I happen to say the wrong thing, they'll know I'm an imposter. So I have to be so certain about every word I utter. whereas, you know, if I just, you know, I, and I think I'm, I think I know what I'm talking about, but if I mess up, I mess up. Right. Then I can just kind of talk more freely.
0: Mm-hmm. Exactly. Uh, I know this is probably turning out to be one of the longest episodes that we've had. So I'm going to try wrapping up. And if there's a viewer like, let me know, like, do you want them to be longer? Do you like this? Do you like this format? Do you want them to did, did this one go a little bit longer? So, um, any last thoughts before we end off on this, uh, episode?
1: I mean, I just think imposter syndrome is understandable, right? Like, but I think don't, if anyone's struggling with this, my number one thing is like lean into it. Like I really think these, this and other, like, let's call them mental health issues are like indicator lights, right? It's like the empty gas light is on, right? There's something wrong and you should really work to understand why. And, and, uh, investigate
0: that cool um i don't think there's anything better i can add on that so thanks a lot david i appreciate it um like like i said there's a lot of ways in which you help me understand and and analyze some of the things that i had um and uh thanks folks for listening